Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 69. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Meg, producer Megan is on the sticks. Cody Safdick's on the line. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Cody, this, this card sucks. Let, let, let's just, let, we're not even going to beat around, this, around the bush. This is like. The worst card, I think, I've ever seen on paper. That doesn't mean... There's always people who are like, oh, this one will be fun. This will be... Yeah, but there's just... There's really nothing going on here. There are some fights that, like, sure, they'll be entertaining. I can watch any sort of... I can watch bum fights way back in the day and find that entertaining. But, like, in terms of, like, top-level mixed martial arts, you're going to be pretty hard to find it outside of the main event this week. Yeah, it's essentially an LFA card as far as I'm concerned. You'll get a couple spots here and there that you might recognize the name. Well, the hardcores will know everybody. But, I mean, for the casual fan, you might recognize the name here or there. But it's weak. And I'm Mr. Optimistic, Paul. I come on two weeks ago, I tell you, it's the best Asian prospect. People are saying the card's weak. But you know what? It's a lot of good Asian talent. South Asian, South Asian, uh, Southeast Asian talent. Uh, last week, it's a pay-per-view. Do you really want to pay that much for that one fight? Eh, maybe, but you know what? It's the best Australian, New Zealand talent, the best talent from down under. Yeah, this is just half of these guys. It's like, are they actually on the roster? Why are they on the roster? And I think you're owed a certain amount of fights per year. So the UFC just throwing something together. But uh, I think it, from a main event standpoint, they're trying to promote Blanchfield. And I think getting a last-minute and draw substitution probably actually helps the card, if anything. But Zach Pauga uh, versus Jordan Wright is a co-main event. Paul, what world are we living in? This wouldn't co-main event a regional scene card. For, for a regular promotion, it would not be their co-main event. You got Josh Parisian versus Jamal Pose. This is on the main card. Like, what, 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 what world are we living in? So, again, I try to stay optimistic. Well, you know what? Weak card, but it might be entertaining. And let's make some money. What is more entertaining than making money? But even from a money line standpoint and a parlay standpoint, this card is weak. These guys are not proven. It's either guys that are over the hill or haven't proven that they're really worth anything quite yet. The money lines are minus 200, minus 300. I don't really know that I feel super comfortable from a betting perspective or that I feel very comfortable from an all-around fan points perspective, but it's like that hangover card after a pay-per-view, so it very much feels that way. Yeah, it's like, we've said it a bunch of times on the show, it's like, they've got to get out of the apex, because it's like, they would never, back in the day where every single week, it was a traveling show, they're going to every single city, they would never, they pretty much never. You know, it's happened what was Patty Holahan ended up like main eventing in Ireland that one time. But that was, was because that was a fluke. But that was because the main event got injured literally the day before the fights. Like that's not what was planned for that day. This this is basically I you know, a couple fights dropped off, but that always happens. But it's like they didn't really they left it so thin that it's like when a couple fights dropped off, this is what you're left with. But we're done complaining. We're going to talk about... I got one last complaint. I got one last complaint, right? I don't even care who you are. Jim Miller versus Alexander Hernandez is a good fight. That's like the one fight on the card that's like anybody can get excited about. Why is this not your co-main event? Why is this not your main event? Main event, I get. Andrade is a former title challenger, former champion, right? Blanchfield's the up-and-coming thing. Okay, I get that one. Five rounds, sure. But uh, 
Miller versus Hernandez just tossed on the main card of a super weak card. It's like a slap in the face to Mil- to Jim Miller, who's like the most tenured guy. And Alexander Hernandez, for the, as many faults as he may or may not have, like, has he ever been in a bad fight? He's had bad performances, but he's ever been in a bad fight? No, no. He's either going to smash a guy or get smashed. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's my other quirk. How come that's not the co-main event? How come Zach Pauga, 0-1 in the UFC, is fighting Jordan Wright, like 1-3 in the UFC, and Jim Miller, the longest tenured guy on your goddamn roster, the longest tenured guy in the company's history, is just like a throwaway main card fight. Whatever, who cares? That that's a slap in the face to him, I'm sure. It's a slap in the face to me as a fan, Paul. I will, I will, I will correct you that uh, Jordan Wright. It's even worse than that, buddy. He's one in four in his last five fights in the in the UFC. And his contender series fight, where he got flopped over in 30 seconds, was a no contest. Like, on a marijuana no contest, too. Mm. Like a, a bullshit no contest saves him from another loss in the contender series. This is your co-main event. Jim Miller. Slap the face. Ah, that one bugs me. Did you just drop an F-bomb? You may have to write that one down for television. Cody's getting all emotional I don't know if I did on. drop an F-bomb, but I may have. I got, I got You fired. may have. We, I don't want you getting in trouble with, with your place of work. That's that's all I've got to say. All right, let's right, without further ado, let's let's break down the card. And the main event is half decent. We've got Jessica Andrade taking on Aaron Blanchfield. Andrade stepping up and in on short notice. Andrade's a minus 135 favor. Blanchfield can be half for plus 115. This was like minus 175, minus 180. And all week it... Money's been pouring in, or seemingly money has been pouring in on Aaron Blanchfield, which I'm kind of surprised by. Um, I haven't bet on it yet. Interested to hear what you have to say about it, because I kind of thought it was going to end up in the direction of like minus 200 plus 170 based on, you know, the resumes that we've seen from both of these combatants. But maybe people are spooked by Andrade coming in on short notice. I'm not entirely sure. It's a big step up in competition for Blanchfield to take on a title challenger and Jessica Andrade, that's for damn sure. Yeah, these are one of these, uh, it's one of these wonky main events where it's like, well, who do you think is going to win as opposed to are you just trying to play the line? Because when it got dropped, I'm thinking plus money Blanchfield, good plus money Blanchfield, why not have a poke? Reasoning being, just like you said, the Andrade short notice. So Jessica Andrade coming in basically in a week's notice, but this is still a five-round fight. So we know how good and talented she is, but a lot of her, uh, a lot of her technique is very explosive. And Blanchfield's style can be very suffocating, you know? It's the kind of thing that if you're going to fight someone for 25 minutes, you're going to have to out full camp be in good shape. And so Andrade might be able to go out and have success in the first round, first round and a half, kind of like a J.J. Aldrich did. But the longer this thing goes, Blanchfield takes her down, and that plus money, I'm willing to chase it. But now that the line's evening up, if you were to bet it right today at plus 120 Blanchfield, plus 125 Blanchfield, it certainly doesn't feel as good. Again, she was having trouble with J.J. Aldridge, mm-hmm. and the rest of her opponents in the UFC aren't any top 10 contenders, aren't top 15 contenders. She's looked good against a lot lesser of competition. The Miranda Maverick fight was probably the best she's looked, but if she doesn't get constant takedowns going, her striking is still unrefined. Uh, she's strong, but Andrade is extremely strong, if not one of the strongest girls in the division. She's going to pose her a lot of problems. So as the line tightens up, you're more swayed to over Jessica Andrade, who is a former champion, a former title challenger, and it's not like she's washed by no means. Her last fight against Lauren Murphy, she puts up like 210 significant strikes landed. For someone that does fight with that kind of reckless, explosive, high-impact style, her cardio has never really been traditionally an issue. I just think you go back to the fact that if she's getting suffocated for 25 minutes, she's going to tire. If you tire and you give up takedowns against Blanchfield, 
it's game over. She's going to sit in your guard. She'll pass. She'll mount. She'll just continuously work. And within draw, she's a fighter's fighter. But oftentimes that leaves you vulnerable to the fact that you haven't trained as hard as you could have for this spot. So the optics are, here's somebody that should smash through Blanchfield. But the realistic nature of the situation is Blanchfield's got a full camp and a good style, right? And draws tons of success. Lord Murphy didn't try to take her down. Amanda Lemo shows her trying to take her down. Since the Calvillo really should have pressed the issue, didn't, got TKO'd in, in one. Valentina Shevchenko, seven takedowns, okay? And they're easy takedowns. And the longer the fight progresses, the easier the takedowns become, right? Something like that, even though she's the GOAT, it was the takedown game, and she made it look really easy. Other girls that have managed to take her down, uh, one I found surprising enough, the Tisha Torres fight, she got taken down twice. Overall, she's got 73% takedown defense. She's fought at, like, three different weight classes, so take it with a grain of salt. But... I'm not saying it's a vulnerability in her game, but it's something that I think Blanchfield could exploit. So, gun to my head pick because of where the line is right now as we're doing the show. I think you take the back class and you take Jessica Andrade, proven commodity, much better striker, has fought these these high-level five rounds before, has felt the pressure, wouldn't take a fight with her resume and the current status of her career right now. She's on a roll. She would not take a fight unless it was like, yeah, I can beat this girl and I'm in shape. Current line, I take it. But for all those people that jumped on Blanchfield early money line, yeah, I get where they're coming from. Kind of wish I would have pulled the trigger a little bit earlier. A loss, it's a weak card. I want to make sure I had everything in order. And I kind of want to watch Wayne's for this one especially. So you lost the line, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I like Andrade. I think it's I think it's a big, big step to say like, well, Valentina Shevchenko was able to take her down seven times. I'm not I know that you're not saying that. I, I imagine that's where like the rationale comes from, but outside of Val, who is the best at 125 pounds of all time, it hasn't exactly been easy sledding for anybody to just take Jessica Andrade down. We saw her a month ago. She looked great. Lauren Murphy would be, yeah, if Lauren Murphy wasn't so damn durable, she would have got her out of there pretty early. Some people thought the fight should have been stopped as it is. Um, I really struggled to get to Aaron Blanchfield, particularly at this price. Like, she this is a big step up. If she passes this test, good on her. But this line keeps moving. I'm going to be forced to jump in on Jessica Andrade. All right, we got uh, Zach Pauga taking on Jordan Wright. Pauga is a minus 270 favorite. The Beverly Hills Ninja Jordan Wright can be had for plus 230. I mean, Wright just absolutely... I was heavy, heavy, heavy on the under one and a half rounds last time out. He comes out, decides to be a wrestler all of a sudden, and uh, forgets the fact that it's just like, you don't have 15 minutes of cardio, bro, so you shouldn't be fighting that style of fight. Like, your style of fight, the way that you can win fights, is by going out there, getting into a slugfest, trying to land an absolute heater in the first Five minutes of the fight when you actually have gas, you actually have power, and that's how that's how you've had some success on the regional scene and spatters of it in the UFC. Pauga was the big favor coming into the heavyweight finals of the Ultimate Fighter, goes up against Mo Uzman, and you kind of saw that's like size does matter. This guy he came in at two thirty nine, but it's like he's coming in for two oh five here. His frame didn't really make any sense to be at heavyweight. So, I mean, they're probably setting Pauga up for a good spot here. Jordan Wright has five, six minutes of cardio, usually an under machine. But Pauga, I hadn't really seen as like a big time finisher. Oh, I'll be picking all like, whew. 
do I want to put my hard-earned dollars on Jordan right? No, not really. I think I'm done. I'm done with that game. It's like you're playing the lottery. Like he can absolutely get finishes, get finishes early. I'll be watching the weigh-ins really, really closely. I'll pick Pauga, but at minus two seventy, I am, I am terrified. Uh, what's your take here? Yeah, pretty much the exact same take. Jordan Wright's kind of a lost fighter. It's like, what style do I fight? Because the style that got you to the UFC was just bum rushing guys that were generally not very good. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, he's a quick starter, someone that actually does have some decent mobility for a big man, has some decent power for a big man, and if he can catch you early and surprise you then he could put you away. Still only 31 years old. It seemed like there was a little time period there for him to develop the other areas of his game. Low-key, he can actually wrestle. His offensive takedowns aren't too bad. He's a big body, but uh, no cardio, no durability. And and then here's the terrible part here. You're playing punchy-kicky, man. Punchy-kicky for 15 minutes, potentially, and you're going to need some cardio. You're going to need some durability. As a result... Hasn't gone good for him, but similar to Terrence McKinney. Terrence McKinney comes out the gate and just bum rushes guys and smashes them, and he's like the next hot prospect. Everybody loves Terrence McKinney. That Ishmael Bombfim fight, he's 50-50, and you and I talk about it. It's like, well, yeah, but if he doesn't bum rush Bombfim and take him out within the first three minutes, he's going to get pieced up and get beat up. That's the real narrative here. And uh, he goes in, and he just, he where's the flying knees? Where's the big left hand? Well, that, that straight left down the pipe. Where's the blast double leg? He just sits there and he's like waiting on it, waiting on it. Gets KO'd, afterwards jumps online and he's like, ah, everybody in the gym, everybody in my camp, everybody around me has been telling me, well, pace yourself, pace yourself. He's like, so I went in there thinking, man, I need to pace myself. And should have just bum rushed him. By the way, should have bum rushed him because he got killed. Could have at least tried to make it happen. Mm-hmm. When Jordan Wright was bum rushing guys, he was that 50-50 guy you were talking about. Yeah, maybe he's able to go out there and catch you. If he doesn't catch you, it's bad, bad news, man. It's bad news because he's not able to fight prolonged period. He hit over his last time, first time in a long time, first time ever, because generally, you know, he's getting squashed. And, and what you can see here is like the Ike Villanueva fight. Gets on, cut stoppage, but all the same, quick start, gets on him, puts him away. The Joaquin Buckley fight, he wins the first, I don't know, three and a half, four minutes against Joaquin Buckley. Gets gets caught at the end of the first round, and that's about the end for him. He gets finished early in the second, but... Had a good start against Joachim Buckley. The Jamie Pickett fight. Finished him. First man to finish him. Minute and four seconds. Quick finish in that fight. The Bruno Silva fight, if people remember it. Wright's putting it on him. He's putting it on Bruno pretty good. Bruno catches him with a beautiful counter and flops him. It's that Bruno fight that changes him. Because at that point, I think he realizes what we already knew. He just doesn't have the durability. So he tries to now switch and say, I'm not going to bum rush guys. I'm just going to try to wrestle them down. Tries to wrestle down Marc-Andre Barrio, and Barrio eventually just snacks him up in a guillotine choke because he gave him his neck. And then his last fight with Dusko, took him down the first round, was looking good. Not a whole lot of ground and pound. Not a whole lot of activity with the takedowns. But then he tired out. And then in the second round, he's just like a sitting target there to get knocked out. So, yeah, how could you bet on that guy? Zach Pauga, meanwhile, at these odds, yeah, I wouldn't like it. I'm one of the idiots that bet him last time out against Mohamed Usman, and he was a minus 275 in that spot too. No good. But the benefit of the doubt for him is that, yeah, he's a 205er. A lot of his fights in the regional scene before the Ultimate Fighter were at 205 pounds. His amateur career at 205 pounds. Can he fight a heavyweight? Sure, but he's not a heavyweight. And then on the Ultimate Fighter, I thought he was the best-looking prospect in the house. Even though he wasn't a real heavyweight, two solid victories. Looked like a much better fighter than Muhammad Usman. But uh, here's the crazy thing. You're playing punchy-kicky, man! So Usman is built like an absolute mountain. Uh, is a big, strong, physical guy. Not really known for his knockout power, by the way, but 
a legitimate heavyweight. I wouldn't say legitimate 265 pound heavyweight because I think he only clocks in at like 225, 230 himself, but like a big, strong physical guy and he catches Pauga and he knocks him out. So how much of that was Pauga shouldn't have been fighting a heavyweight? Probably a decent chunk of it. How much of it was UFC jitters and octagon nerves and all these different things? Probably a good part of it. But for a big guy, he's got excellent cardio, trains at altitude, a guy that generally comes in shape, full camp for this fight, striking enough to put pressure on Jordan Wright, eventually clip him and knock him out. If Wright wants to wrestle him, um, takedown defense not bad, but beyond that is that he makes you work because he's got good cardio, he's got good pace. So even if Wright gets the takedowns, it'll be similar to the Dusko fight. What does he do with the takedowns? And then eventually he gets tired of going for takedowns, and then he gets knocked out. So, yeah, I probably hit the under. I don't know if I like under one and a half, but like under two and a half. And then I'm thinking Pauga clips him, Pauga puts him away, Pauga knocks him out. Pauga will be on the parlays at some point. <clears throat> oh, most of these guys are going to be a parlays. All these guys are going to be a parlays at some point. But yeah, at minus two seventy, it screams. Let's throw him on the top, and then it's a not a heavyweight fight, but it's 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 a greasy fight. A couple of big boys, right? If he fights the way he has been fighting, he's a dead man walking. If he bum rushes him, he's got a 50-50 shot. Like he could definitely clip him. He's got enough power to hurt Pauga. I just don't know if he's going to go out there and fight like that. So for that reason, I just I got to take Zach Pauga. And uh, last thing I'll say, and then we can move on. Like last week, Tuhugov loses. Man, it, listen, it hurt hurt everybody. Hurt everybody that bet him. Should we have bet him? Probably not. My 650, whatever. You knew it was going to be a greasy split decision. But at least I didn't have him on the top ticket. At least I didn't have him on the second ticket. He's on the third ticket, blows up, doesn't matter. The main thing is, just because you're a big favorite, you got this big number next to your name, doesn't mean you're safe. And in Pauga's case, 0-1 in the UFC, got knocked out, never been knocked out before, been hurt in a bunch of fights. I've seen him been hurt in a bunch of fights in the regional scene, never been knocked out. Last fight, knocked out. Do you want to run and bet 270 on this guy? No, probably not. So, anyways, all I'm saying is take it with a grain of salt, but he is the pick. Yeah. Um, I will say, yeah, you were talking about the, the under two and a half rounds. That's that's juiced up to, like, minus 350, minus 355. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, Pauga, it's, I mean, it probably, it absolutely probably hits. It probably hits around 80, 90% clip, so it's not, like, the worst parlay piece, I suppose, but... Like, I'm not confident that Jordan Wright has 15 minutes in, in him, literally against anybody, unless the pace of the fight is so slow um, that, you know, the, his opponent carries him, which that doesn't tend to play out. Probably gets to the under one and a half, but that's even juiced already to minus 175. Like, it's it's a terrifying fight all the way around. People, uh, the books are well aware of who Jordan Wright is at this point in his career. Um, we got Jamal Pogues taking on Josh Parisian minus 240 for Jamal Pogues Parisian can be had for plus 200. What's your take here, bud? Well, the greasy heavyweight fight. It's an absolute greasy heavyweight fight. I don't like the line on Jamal Pogues being that he's unproven in the UFC. It's a big spot. He's on a UFC main card, but yeah, I think he wins. With Josh Parisian, uh, he's 265 pounds. I'm pretty sure he cuts to 265 pounds. So if he does get you down and he can get on top of you, that's where he's a bit of a problem. Like I, People could, on paper, look at the numbers and say he's got good cardio for a big man, being that he has gone out there and thrown big numbers in the past. His fight with Parker Porter, he lands 114. It's that when you go back and you watch those fights, he's dead dog tired. Oh, His yeah. opponent's dead dog tired. And they're both slinging from the hip side. But it's very, very sloppy. Someone with a modicum of shape that's going to go out there with 15 minutes of cardio is going to be able to clip him and hurt him at some point. His wins, the Roki Martinez fight, split decision, Greasy split decision. Got to get that takedown. He gets that takedown. He gets a little bit of top control. That probably seals it for him. His last fight with Alan Bodo, he got rocked. 
early in the first round. His striking is mechanical, you know. He throws from too far out. He doesn't move his feet. He doesn't move his head. You see him coming from a mile away. He can punch his way into the clinch, press you up against the cage, and try to lean on you. He's a big guy. We can acknowledge that. But at the same time, it's like he's there to get countered in the open field, and Bodo chews him up in the open field, but he can get a few takedowns over him. Because, listen, guy, he's operating at the lowest level possible in the UFC. It's possible to get takedowns at that level. Jamal Pogues is not some world beater necessarily but what i like about him is that he's still very young 27 years old and it seems like a guy that wasn't a, a, a heavyweight he wasn't right he's a 205 or in a six foot three frame who's young and filling it out and trying to figure it out still but the first time he was on the contender series against marcos uh, brigadao comes in at 206 pounds beats brigadao not a great fight but it, again he's very young at the time he's fighting an 11-0 brazilian prospect decent enough win doesn't get the contract does get an lfa fight against alex Polizzi. Submitted in that one, weighed 203.8, right? So again, this this is just 2020. He's weighing 203.8. Fight with Tim Hilly at LFA after he lost to Polizzi, 205.6. And then his next fight on the contender series, he comes in at a whopping 248 pounds. So two fights back, he's a light heavyweight. Guy's been competing at light heavyweight. And then comes back in the contenders for one fight. At 248 pounds, they give him a walkover as far as I'm concerned. It was a walkover. And he looked good. He looked good. His ground game is pretty all right. His pace is pretty all right. I think he's got decent enough cardio. Uh, work in progress with someone that I can see putting it together. Not going to challenge in the top 10. Not going to break over to an elite heavyweight status. But over a guy like Josh Parisian, he's faster than him. Probably got better wrestling. If he just trips him up, takes him down, he's going to have a lot of success. If he keeps it standing in the open field, he's just going to be able to beat him with a punch routinely. The thing is, is that this is a quite a big line for a guy making his debut mm -hmm. who's not an actual heavyweight fighting a guy who's pretty much only good characteristic is that he is a bona fide heavyweight uh, on a greasy heavyweight spot. You know, you know how I feel. You feel the same way about these these middling heavyweight type spots. It it's just it's just a lot. I think he wins, but again, it's a confidence issue. It's like how much confidence do you have in him to go out there and beat Parisian? Or is it not possible that you see this weekend and week out? He goes out there and looks really good for the first round. And then all of a sudden, throwing around a guy of this size gasses him out a little bit. And then Parisian can kind of get into his area. If Parisian trips him up and ends up on top, it's a big body to move off of you, right? So now all of a sudden you're tired. It's 1-1 going into the third. He's got experience. He's fought here before. He knows what he's got to do in this third round because he's been there. And with Pogues, not saying he hasn't seen a third round before, but as a heavyweight in a UFC debut in a small little apex where Dana might be sitting right there. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a long line. It's a long line. I know I'm talking a lot of narrative here for sure, but these are the kind of things that at the end of the night, when you're like, I mean, what did I bet that guy? it's like, well, you knew about all this stuff. So why did you bet the guy? You knew about the stuff going in. It's going to be greasier than it needs to be. But maybe just pass or put it lower. No, I, I, I agree with a lot of what you were saying. Just how quickly just add like, I think the Parisian wrestling narrative is a little bit overblown here. Guy's taken down twice by Parker Porter. Not a wrestler. Like, not really a wrestler whatsoever. Dante Mays. That was, that was when we got, when he got the nickname D1 Dante. Um, not really a wrestler. I'd, had no problem taking him down at will over and over and over in that fight. And then finished him in the third round. I mean, the win over Alan Beldeau, round one... He, he got knocked down. It was looking horrible for him. He was about to lose to the worst heavyweight on the UFC roster. Another guy who was a 205er fighting at uh, 260 or fighting a heavyweight. So, 
I don't like po. I don't like laying you know low level heavyweights. I don't like laying minus two forty. I probably won't lay lay minus two forty here. I will be picking Pogues because really, outside of yeah, holding him up against the cage, using a little bit of size advantage, like he's probably gonna have about twenty pounds, twenty five pounds on fight night over him. Uh, Pogues came in at two forty eight last time on the contender series. Should have a speed advantage. Probably a technical striking advantage, cardio advantage. Uh, I, I, you know me, I love betting underdogs and dumb little uh, spots like this, but I cannot, cannot uh, get on board playing Josh Parisian. Moving on down the card, we got William Knight taking on Marcin Pracnio. Uh, this, bo- or this fight was actually, Pracnio was a slight favorite. Money is coming in on thick Willie Knight. I suppose people are thinking that, uh, you know, the reemergence of Pracnio's uh, chin issues that we had seen in the past are going to show up in this spot. I really struggle getting to William Knight. I have backed him in a bunch of fights, and honestly, the volume is just not really there. I'm not sure about his grappling. I'm not sure he really belongs in the UFC at this point. Can he land an absolute bomb and win? But I actually think more often than not, Pracnio should, as long as he can stay upright and keep this fight striking at range, he should box him right up, out volume, and and win this. It's it's really kind of knockout or bust for William Knight. Maybe he can like wrestle a little bit, but I haven't been too impressed by what I've seen from him in the wrestling department in too many of the spots. At least he's able to hold guys down, or he's able to take them down sometimes, you know, with sheer grit, muscle determination. He hasn't been able to like really hold them down in like get too much damage from top control. So um, I'll take the ever so slight dog in Marcin Pracnio. Just, you know, keep your chin in one piece. He's, he's definitely, he had that reputation at the beginning when he first came onto the scene, but I think he's fixed his strategy up a little bit here. So not sure if I'm going to bet, bet it, but I am picking Marcin Pracnio. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to pick Pracnio as well. Similar to the last fight with Jamal Pogues, because of the weight, I'd really like to see the weigh-ins before I went in and locked mm-hmm. anything. It's the same thing with William Knight. So when I talk about lost fighters, it's like, oh, man, maybe I should change a weight class because things aren't going good in this weight class. Or uh, a Terrence McKinney, change your style, right? A Jordan Wright, try to change your style because you're, you're looking for what's going to bring me success. The weight class change is a big one. And William Knight, I think that's exactly what he did. They call him Thick Willie for a reason. Even though he's not very tall... He's pretty much built as big as you can get at 205 pounds, and he starts coming out stagnant. If you just look back to 2021, he's on a roll. Beats Fabio Charant, big shot, looked terrible in that fight. Is looking away with his eyes closed and just kind of paws him, completely renders him unconscious because when you're built like that and you touch people, they go to sleep. This fight with Alonzo Menafield, again, I thought he looked good. He's not exactly a great striker. He's not a great wrestler, but being that physically strong, that muscular, he has a lot of success pinning guys up against the cage, outmaneuvering them in the clinch, working them over ever so slightly, getting the win. That's him at his best. That's him when he's making weight properly. His fight with Max Christian, he was depleted. Bad weight cut. He came in at 218 pounds Mm -hmm. for a 205-pound fight with Max Christian. Okay? So most commissions wouldn't actually allow that. You can't fight if there's a 7-pound difference. In this case, it's like, Christian, would you fight him? Christian's Russian, so he says, nah. And he's in. But also, you see a dead man there. He does not look good. Looks awful. The performance, three takedowns for Willie Knight. But like you said, can't hold him down. Doesn't have the cardio. No striking. 
And then when Grishin does get back up in the spots where Grishin's standing, he just chews him up. Dead man walking, you know, is, is such a good range game over Willie Knight. Willie Knight's ineffective with his counters, looks uncomfortable. Grishin beats him up. It's the weight cut, right? So the very next fight with Devin Clark, he clocks in at 251 pounds. So here's a guy that's kind of okay-ish, okay-ish at 205. Just blows up to 218 for this fight at 205, okay? So this day is that light heavyweight are looking behind him. He now comes out at heavyweight and weighs 251 pounds, Paul. So he's all the way heavyweight. He's full-blown heavyweight at this point. And he looks awful. Like, he did technically on the numbers manage up one takedown by Devin Clark, but not a nice takedown. Clark quickly back up. Clark puts the pace on him. Clark wears him down, and Clark knocks him out, right? So Devin Clark, not a terrible fighter, as we saw from a couple weeks back, but... Again, William Knight as a heavyweight fighting a dude that used to fight at 185 pounds and getting tossed around in there. He's not what he used to be. So the, even the sheer perspective and the sheer idea of he's fighting this weekend at 205 pounds, can't wrap my head around it. Last time you seen him try to make 205, he botched it by 13 pounds. And then the last time he fought, he's at 251. Now he needs to cut 45 pounds to get back down to 205. People will say... Well, if he does, then he's committed and he's this and that. He's 34 years old. It's not going to be good on the body. It's not going to be on the reflexes. And the part of the reason why he left light heavyweight is because it was zapping his body. So because you realize now, shit, I'm not a heavyweight. I just got dummied by a former middleweight 205er. Who else at heavyweight is there for me to fight? Okay, well, I better get down to 205. Not a simple, not a simple fix. Marcin Pragnia, meanwhile, if anything, he's got the volume. You saw that in the Khalil Roundtree fight. Survived that first round. Second and the third round, he's able to put some volume on him. The Ike Villanueva fight, much of the same. A guy that, as his best, can put some volume on. Even in his last couple fights, uh, sorry, the Felipe Linz fight his last time out, he outstruck Felipe Linz, 74 to 64. Thing is, is he's giving up the four takedowns. He gave up, you know, five and a half minutes of, of top control or control time in that fight. So is there a path to win for William Knight? Of course. Get your wrestling going. Take him down. Hold him down. Get that, get that round time. But very similar to his fight with Grishin, he might get those takedowns, but he's not going to do enough with them, and he's not going to do it for a sustained amount of time. Whereas Pragnia's got enough cardio that once he gets back up, he's going to rack up a few numbers. You know those fights where it's like, damn, my guy's been on top for four minutes, and then all of a sudden there's a scramble, and there's 58 seconds on the round, 48 seconds on the round, and the guy bum rushes you, and you know, you know. Shit, I think I just lost that round. Even though you had the four minutes of top control, you didn't do anything. This guy lands a couple hot shots near the end of the round. Judges tend to favor it. Pracnow, I think, does that. So it's pretty much an even money fight. But like ever so slightly, Marcin Pracnow is technically the betting underdog. And so, uh, Dogger Pass, baby, sign me up with Marcin Pracnow. All right. We got Alexander the Great uh, Hernandez taking on Jim Miller. Minus 220 for Hernandez, plus 190 for Jim Miller. You know me. I'm looking. I mean, I made the mistake. Last time out, backing Hernandez at 145. I waited till the weigh-ins, and I'm like, man, he made 145. Made it look pretty easy. Maybe this guy's figured it out. We've always known that he's got lots of talent. You know, knocking out Benil Dariush. I mean, looking back on that performance now, it's like, it feels like it's a totally different person. This guy is so dangerous in round one, but he has been finished in round two. By Drew Dober, Renato Moicano, Billy Corintillo last time out, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Got about six, seven minutes of cardio. Nothing's really changed on that front. Jim Miller was supposed to be on this card already. 
and uh, and he was taking on our guy uh, Gabriel Mowgli, Mowgli Benitez. Hernandez coming in on short notice, you know, after going to 145, flopping, wants to take, wants to, you know, take a quick turnaround fight against Jim Miller. It's like, if Miller is living after the first five minutes, great live entry spot. I'll probably sprinkle a little bit on Jim Miller round two. Not that Jim Miller has the best cardio. We have seen many a times with Jim Miller that he's a little bit... You know, he he definitely slows down over the course of the fight. But, like, there's levels to cardio dumps. And uh, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody like Alexander Hernandez, who looks so good. He looks like a title challenger in round two, and he looks like one of the worst guys on the roster in rounds, uh, rounds, sorry, looks like a title challenger in round one, and then in round two, and if he even gets to round three, he looks like one of the worst guys on the roster. Like, it's... A tale as old as time This at this point. Don't want to dump on the Jim Miller money line this early in the week because I, I, I can totally see Hernandez landing big bomb, getting him out of there early, like totally, totally in play. Um, so I'll probably just sprinkle, yeah, Miller round two, uh, a little, little sprinkle of that, and more of a fight that I'm much more interested in betting from a live betting perspective. But uh, Miller will be my pick. What about you? Yeah, I think maybe even just go for the under on that one. If Hernandez shows up, you know what he's capable of doing. You mentioned the Neil Darius fight, and then to a so much lesser extent, his last two wins in the UFC, Chris Grutzmacher and Mike Breeden. When he touches you early, he can put you away. He does have that capability. When he does not knock you out early, he tends to absolutely fall apart and then get finished. Uh, as you mentioned, the second round, he starts to fall apart. Jim Miller, his last three fights, all wins, all second round finishes, right? Submissions, knockouts. Uh, he has a way of hanging around the fight just long enough to catch you with something. And Hernandez is one of these guys that tends to, if he doesn't finish long and quick enough, he's in the fight long enough to get caught from something. They're very self-destructive. We're going to talk about Jamal Emers later on to a lesser extent because Emers is the king of the self-destruction. But the guys are talented. They have all the talent in the world. Maybe it's a mental lapse. God knows what it is really. But at some point, they make crucial mistakes. And their opponents generally always capitalize on those crucial mistakes. So I actually do like Alexander Hernandez. I think he's very athletic. I think he can wrestle. I think he's got big power. He's a confidence-driven fighter. So when you take that confidence away from him, he's not the same guy. When he's not talking down to you, when he doesn't think he's going to smash you in his head, there's there's self-doubt. And when there's self-doubt, then he kind of pulls his punches a second. When he pulls his punches a second, he, he, he's done. He's going to fall apart. That being said, his losses, Hanato Moicano, Billy Q, Tiago Moises, Drew Dober, all those guys beat Jim Miller. So this is going to be a step down in competition for him. Mm -hmm. It's something that he should be able to at least go there and have some success. My narrative on this one is that it's better for him not to have the camp. If you see the kid get on the scale in every fight, he's he's chiseled out of marble. Like he's absolutely jacked. No doubt about it. Alexander Hernandez don't hang on the couch between fights. So he's in great shape. So even though a guy that's that ripped up and ready to go has such poor cardio, because I think it's more so the nerves, it's the jitters, it's the confidence, it's the overthinking. So when you have an eight-week camp, 10-week camp, 12-week camp, you're thinking about the same guy for that entire time. You're losing sleep over it. You're stressing over it. You're you're overanalyzing all of his moves. You're, you're, you're seeing some highlight reel. You're seeing some training video he posted. It's getting in your head. It really messes up with the guy. In this instance, he's coming in short notice. Like, he hasn't stressed anything. You know he's in shape. He's, help, he's helping out coaching at Factory X Muay Thai. He's surrounded by great bodies, great training partners, and he's jumping in here, doesn't have to cut down to 45. I, th I think he's probably going to go out and show off a decent performance. Thing is, and I sound like a broken record at this point, 
He's lying. The line is no good. And he is massively untrustworthy. Jim Miller is always the dog. How many straight fights has Jim Miller been the underdog now in? Well, and he's had a couple bumps, but I know I understand your point. He, so his last fight against Donald Cowboy Cerrone, he's a minus 190 because Cerrone was uh, partying in Thailand. The fight with Nicholas Moda, plus 150. Paul Cash had taste he won on that one. Mm-hmm. His fight with Eric Gonzalez, Gonzalez is a mega bum. But he finished him inside the distance. I think that's what people expected, right? He was competitive against Joe Selecki. He was competitive against Vince Pichel. Cash against Roosevelt Roberts at plus 205. Clash against Clay Guida. I guess he was a favorite in that one. So it's like, yeah, he, these are spots that he's used to, right? He's got enough firepower to clip him and put him away. He's got enough submission game to catch him with something, especially in transition. He was able to get his respect early and hurt him. But yeah, I just, I got to go based on tape and skill. And it, I would say Hernandez is just a better athlete. He moves better. He hits harder. He is a better athletic fighter. Jim Miller is a better fighter fighter, but you know, 39 years old, Lyme disease. How many times does Cody Safdie got to bring this up for you, Paul Shaughnessy? At some point, the train is going to fall off the tracks. And I just don't love betting him in, in spots. So of all the dogs we've talked about on the card to this point, Jim Miller is your guy, for mm-hmm. sure. And if you're a Jim Miller better, you just you ride or die with him. You're up money, right? These are the spots he thrives in. He's very live here. Gun to my head from the fights that we've talked about. Got to take one actual underdog because... Well, we got an underdog in our last spot, but it, that's not, it's not really, uh, Marcin Pratt, not really an underdog. No. Look, one legit underdog. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would say Jim Miller, but don't got the ponies. I just, I can't bet Jim Miller. He's your guy, not my guy. What I will offer you though, if you have any interest, is, uh, if you want to take a shoey bet, we're six weeks into the year. No shoey's been done on the show. No shoey bet's been issued on the show. Jim Miller is your guy. Oh, come on. I'm not taking. Would you take one, a shoey no. bet? No. Okay. No. Well, I'm gonna. I, I mean, I, it's not like I get a world beater here, but I see. I see what you're saying. I understand the risks involved here. I'm not giving you a minus two hundred. <laughs> Jim Miller could totally get knocked out in fair. the first round. Um, That's fair. I'm not even touching the money line because I think like this fight has to play out a certain way for Jim Miller to get the nod. Like he's giving up size, strength, speed, uh, athleticism, age to. A younger, uh, much more, you know, uh, dominant, dangerous athlete in Alexander Hernandez. But we get out of round one, it's game on. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to sprinkle the round two prop for Jim Miller and uh, and be more interested in entering uh, from a live market perspective. Because if he's living after round one, it is it's Miller time. Uh, but uh, yeah, and on top of that, uh, yeah, he was favored against Mata and Eric Gonzalez. Gonzalez was like, that one didn't really make any sense. I think they were just trying to get, you know, the company man, Jim Miller, back on track. That's why he's like a minus 250 favorite. And then Mata, I think that one closed at like minus 120, plus 100. So he closes the favorite. But I got it like early in the week at like plus 140 or something like that. So yeah, Jim Miller has more, what, more wins than anybody on the roster. And the guy just never gets any respect from the books and um you know he's had a whole bunch of losses he's had a whole bunch of wins crazy how much how often this guy fights uh he's really a company man all right we got mara bueno silva taking on lena landsberg mayo bueno silva is a minus 500 favorite lena landsberg can be had for plus 375 most interesting part of this fight cody the over-under, in my opinion. Um, 
I think it's playable here. It's like the over, yeah, fight goes to decision is like minus 125 across the market. I haven't touched it yet. But like Landsberg, if nothing else, she's very slow plotting, but she's been very durable. Outside of Aspen Lab was able to get her get her out of there in round two. And uh, another previous fight that escapes me off the top of my head right now that she got finished against like elite competition. But Cyborg, like, yeah. Yeah, Cyborg was able to finish her. That was it. Um, yeah, I'm surprised that like, and, uh, I guess Maribel and Bueno Silva is coming off of a first round submission win against Stephanie Egger, but I don't know. I mean, I think I'm going to be picking Marabueno Silva. Landsberg is kind of like a sitting duck. She doesn't really – a lot of standing cage control. The striking's not quite there. She's a little bit long in the tooth. Um, it's really, really hard to back her, in my humble opinion. But I think, like, there is an opportunity to make some money on fight goes to decision uh, between the two of them. Um, I think the that first-round finish that Silva got last time out against Edgar is really, really cooked into this line. So that's where I'm going to be going with. I'll be picking Marabueno Silva as my pick, but uh, minus 500 doesn't really get me out of bed. What about you? Yeah, so so I, I think she's the pick. She's minus 500. Uh, no shocker here, but this could be your apple pie shitter. Absolutely. I think Marabueno Silva wins, but at minus 500, I don't feel great about it. And there's certain issues that I do have pertaining to this matchup. So Marabuena Silva is super slow. She's very, very, very slow in plotting. That's the reason why she can't beat a Manil Fioro or a, or a Marina Moroz is that if you stay to the outside and you just use your striking, she's just very slow to get a hold of her opponent. Her best attribute seems to be the armbar. She's got a nasty armbar. Thing is, she's got no wrestling to back it up. She's got career uh, takedown accuracy of 0% in the UFC. She has never completed a takedown in the UFC. Stephanie Egger got submitted. Because she's the one that took her down. That Wu Yanan, Wu Yanan went the distance with her just two fights back and took her down and avoided the armbar. But Wu Yanan can't strike, so she's out striking her. But the zero takedowns is concerning because the best part of her game is going to be if she just takes Lena Landsberg down and sets up on top, has some decent submissions. Why not try to submit her? So that off the table, you've got a striking battle, which is fair. But Reina Buena Silva, again, she's slow, she's plodding, and she's going to use predominantly a shoot-to-box boxing style, whereas Lena Landsberg is effective in the clinch, likes to use knees, likes to use elbows, likes to use those small, more you know, short attacks. But at 40 years old, she don't got the cardio to keep pace. Like You would think Marina Buena Silva at some point is just going to keep throwing, and that's what's kind of getting Landsberg in, in trouble, is that she's not fighting girls that are necessarily big on you know, power, but they're big on volume. And the Carol Roses of the world, they're just going to keep chipping away. She looked good in that fight. I was all in on Carol Rose. I didn't feel particularly great about it. Uh, definitely won the fight, but just not as easy as it should have been. Landsberg's not a terrible fighter. She's fought in really good competition. You need to outwork her. But being able to beat her in the clinch, press her up against the cage, mix in some takedowns, that's what would make you a minus 500. 0% takedown accuracy is concerning. Wins over Wu Yanan. Uh, Mara Romero Barella. I guess the Jillian Robertson one was okay. Aged well. Uh, yeah, it's just like she's not elite by any stretch. You can say that her losses are elite, which they are. You know, all the props to Marina Moroz and Moreau Fierro. I mean, she's lost to good girls, but these are the kind of spots that Pat Mayo ends up plus money at the end of the year because it doesn't make any sense when he just randomly, no explanation, takes the big plus money dog in these exact spots. But it's like it's it's going to be closer than the minus 500 indicates. And then you yourself, great point, probably goes to decision. 
Landsberg is extremely durable, generally goes to decision. Buena Silva just, just went to decision with Wu Yinan two fights ago. Can't stress that enough. This thing could very well go to decision. So if it's going to go to decision and grappling's off the table because she's not taking her down, so it's mostly a striking battle. So you've got a striking battle for 15 minutes in women's MMA, and you're holding a minus 500 ticket on somebody. Feels like Tahugov from last week. Like, you probably win. You should win. But it all it takes is two bad judges, and you're on the wrong end of a split decision, and you paid a whole lot of chalk. So that's kind of my takeaway on this one. All right, moving on down, we've got Hussein Ashkabov taking on Jamal Emmers. Minus 130 for Ashkabov, plus 110 for Emmers. Who you got here? Well, I mean, it looks like Ashkabov is the way to go, but that's just looking at this 23-0 record, which is massively ballooned up. He's got guys on here that were like 0-20. He's had not fixed match allegations, but they've physically pulled fights off of his record being like, come on, dude, this is not a real fight. Again, when you look at some of them, they'll have okay-looking records. Oh, geez, 7-1, 6-2, two, 7-2, two, all good-looking records. And it's super salty when you look into those guys. So it's it's hard to gauge like what you're getting out of him. He has not had a fight in three years. Okay. So almost three years to the day, like a month short of three years to the day is the last time he fought. I don't know that you can get a great read on him. He's still only 28. I would say he's a beast. I would say the guy's got combat Sambo in his back pocket. He's got a wrestling advantage. He's got some good striking. He's able to fight for 15 minutes. But when you look at the fights from three years ago, He's got some massive holes in his game is what he's got. Jamal Emers has a wrestling advantage over him. Jamal Emers appears to have a speed advantage over him. Jamal Emers appears to have potentially a striking advantage over him. Well, it's like Jamal Emers just puts himself in really bad spots, like the Giga Chikots fight. Could have won that fight. No, no doubt could have beaten him had he decided to wrestle, which for whatever reason, he just decided to wrestle too late into the rounds. I thought he could have still won that fight. I mean, I scored it for him, but the judges, unfortunately, didn't. Would have been a marquee victory for him. His last time I with Pat Sabatini, he rocks Pat Sabatini early, decides he's going to roll, play leg locks, the leg lock guy. It's bad decision-making. But you do look at the skill. It's like, yeah, he moves really well. He's got good wrestling, uh, solid athleticism, hits pretty good, good striking from the outside. I think he's the kind of guy that could go in there and give Abishov a whole lot of problems from the outside. Uses wrestling to keep the fight standing, maybe even mix in a couple takedowns. Guy's been off for three years. What's his cardio look like? What's the ring rust going to look like? Or is he going to come back and be like an absolute dominant world beater? Last time we seen him, 25. Now he's 28. Could be. Could be. Very hard to get a read on that. I want to just take uh, the Russian, Kusain Askabov. Thing with Askabov, though, is I think... Uh, <clears throat> which just feels like a trap. Like he's a 23 and 0 Russian. Obviously you're going to take him. And when you look at the tape, you're not very impressed, no. but you just keep telling yourself he's an OV Russian and he's 23 and 0 and the UFC setting him up and he's still young. And you, you keep telling yourself this stuff. And Jamal Amers is an apple pie shader, but it's like Amers has fought at a higher level. He's given a better count of himself. He looks to have some skill advantage. He's been off a while too, you know, capable of maybe coming back as a reinvented version, going to give him problems. And then I know this is going to sound like the coward's way out, but I need some underdogs. Fact is, I need some underdogs. This is not even a big underdog spot. It's not, but it technically is, right? And Jamal Emmers would be that guy that I think is going to pull out an underdog win. Yeah, I'll side with you. I watched tape and thinking and looked at the record, and I'm like, oh, Russian, that, you know, is 23-0. and 0. I'm, I, I, I expect to be impressed. But I was like, what is going on with this line? And why are people taking... Emmers and why does it keep getting tighter? And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, he's fighting like a bunch of cab drivers. Like, this is not, 
I mean, they're not actually fighting like cab drivers, but like I really didn't see all that much on tape that was like impressive. I saw somebody who was incredibly green for a 23 and 0 record. I don't think I'm going to bet it, but I'll pick Emmers with you. We got uh, Felipe Linz taking on OSP. Linz, a minus 200 favorite. OSP can be had for plus 170. A penny for your thoughts. Yeah, I think you got to go with uh, Felipe Linz here. The line currently minus 205. Again, it's one of those spots you're going to say you don't like. But I think you got to force yourself to like it. Like, you're going to have to bet a few of these fights on the card if you want to force it. You're degenerate. You want to force it. We're going to need a few of them. And I feel like Linz could be one of the better spots. OSP at his best. Excellent fighter. Former title challenger. And was kind of a flaky spot. But he went the distance with John Jones. He's fought all the best guys in the world. He was a good fighter, right? A former uh, football player out of the University of Knoxville. Athletic guy. Some decent power. Went on a good run. Has this kind of style where he can lull you to sleep and then knock you out. And then also has like an advanced ground game where he slaps on so many Von Flu chokes that they physically name, change the name of the, the submission Von to Von Prue because it's basically his move at this point. So again, there's a lot that you could like about an OSP, but you're going to have to bear with me on this one because it's basically just like story time stuff. But uh, when he fought Dominic Reyes, right? So I, a buddy of mine hit me up and was like, he's really struggling physically. Like his body's starting to shut down. He's got... 40 pro fights when he fought Dominic Reyes, who was 9-0. and And the fight was, you know, he got beat up for the better part of the three rounds. And then with like one second left on the clock, he got absolutely knocked out. Now the round ended, so it didn't go down as a knockout loss on his record, but it seriously took some stung out of him. His next fight against Nikita Krylov, he gets submitted. That one was a rematch. Uh, sorry. Yeah, that one was a rematch. He Von, Von Prude him the first time. Second time, just doesn't look like the same guy. Gets beat up, tired, taken down, rear naked, choked by Krylov. Fair. Fight with uh, Alexa Chuck. Get 10-8 in the first round. 10-8 round in the first round. Second round, will Prince Michael gas. As soon as Prince Michael, or Lord Michael, sorry. When Lord Michael gas, it was like, okay, OSP fights his way back into it. Hits him with the Von Prude choke. Fair. He's still a veteran. He's still got a few moves. But his ability to move is gone. He's got a leg injury and he just doesn't move on his feet anymore, right? So now he moves to heavyweight against Ben Rothwell. Why would you do that? A, having weight cutting problems, having physical problems, and the speed is just catching up to him. So he goes to heavyweight to try to catch up one of these slower guys. The Rothwell fight is one of the worst fights you'll ever see. It's a split decision because he drops Rothwell twice. But outside of him dropping Rothwell twice, it's him doing nothing. He just stood there. He didn't have no cardio. He looked physically massively ballooned up at heavyweight. He came in at 240 pounds, not huge, but considering he's a 205er, bad news, right? Comes back down, fights Alonzo Menafield. Menafield looked terrible. And then his last two fights, he fights uh, Jamal Hill, okay? So you'll give him a pass because it's the current champion. You'll give him a pass all day long. Here's the thing you got to keep in mind. First time in a 45-fight career that he missed weight. Comes in at 27 and a half. Never missed weight before in his entire career. Coach goes on record. Now he's had weight cutting issues dating back to 2018, but now he's officially missed weight against Jamal Hill. So his coach comes out on record and says, I'm the one that told him stop cutting weight because I know my athlete and I could tell something's wrong with him. They still let him fight the next day. They still let him get knocked out in brutal fashion by Jamal Hill, but he officially missed weight. So 205 is now off the table. It's not there for him anymore. Fights Tanner Bozer at heavyweight. Fair. 230, looks like crap, gets knocked out by Tanner Bowser. bad performance. And then the UFC decides, you know what, let's just run back that Shogun fight. You knocked him out in Brazil in 30 seconds. Nobody cares to see this rematch, but Shogun's looking for a way out. 
you basically at this level now, and they booked the Shogun fight. He should have killed Shogun. He was a minus 270 favorite over Shogun. Is one of the worst performances you've ever seen. And part of that's the weight cut. He's not, can't make this weight no more. Massive leg injury, no mobility. He can maybe catch you with that like swinging left hook, but the speed's gone. I'm not saying the power is gone. Like he's not, he's not OSP anymore. Fan favorite in my heart. Love the guy. Not very nice career. Not great career, nice career. But his days of being any slightly bit relevant, they're, uh, they're gone. They're gone. I seen that he took this Andre Petrovsky grappling match. I watched it. Again, he looks ballooned up. He looks slow. He gets taken down and controlled by Andre Petrovsky. He doesn't get submitted, so I'll give him that. But, like, he just didn't look good to me. Now, Felipe Lins, who knows what he's going to look like himself because mm-hmm. the guy's been out so many cancellations and injuries. And when he does show up, he doesn't look great. But he's leaps and bounds a better technical strike. And I think he's just going to stand to the outside and just dance around OSP, land kicks, land punches, out volume them, not get caught by that big shot, wrestling advantage. I just think like Linz has maybe got something left in the tank. He's 37, but he's got less than 20 pro fights. Whereas OSP has got 40 pro fights, 40 plus pro fights. His body is what's broken down to me. So I got to see weigh-ins simply because it's a heavyweight or it's a light heavyweight fight. <laughs> OSP has got to make light heavyweight, which I think is going to be a task in itself. And then even f- for Felipe Linz, it's like, I don't want to bet this guy. He lost to Andre Orlovsky. He had heavyweight. We lost to Tanner Bozer. He also got knocked out by Tanner Bozer. Yeah, the heavyweight. At light heavyweight, he fought Marcin Pragnia's last time out. I didn't think he looked great, but he didn't look bad. And the version that beat Marcin Pragnia on that night beats OSP. Here, I'm pretty confident in that. I just need him to make the weight look good, not get caught by that early shot, and then no volume him. So I will take Lens, but you know, do you love it? Minus 200? Definitely not. Could you see yourself losing? I could, but what am I supposed to do? Pass on all these chalky spots? Got to bite down at some point. Yeah, I'll pick Linz as well. I don't love it either. I definitely won't be betting it. Um, he really did lean on the wrestling against against uh, Marcin Pracnio last time out, which could get him in a little bit of trouble early, potentially, against OSP. But, yeah, I think you really have to see the weigh-ins for both of these guys. You were talking about all of it with both of them kind of going up to heavyweight multiple times. Linz came in, made weight, looked fine. Um against Pracnail, uh, but slowed down a little bit down the stretch. Um, I was on Linz in that spot and definitely was like a little bit nervous. It was not a walk in the park by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, OSP's probably... I just don't see... Yeah, it's not the same guy that, that we saw, you know, five, six years ago. Like he's he's slow. He was never really a fast guy. He's slowed down significantly since then. Um, I just don't see too many, uh, advantages that he has in this fight. So this may be, you know, the last fight kind of that he has in the UFC. Um, we got Nazim Sadikov taking on Evan Elder minus 190 Sadikov plus 160 for Elder. What's your thoughts here, bud? Yeah. Well, this is a, this is a tough, it's a tough one to get like a real good read on, right? Because I want to just hammer old AJ Fletcher. You look at the tape. You see the advantages for Fletcher. I think his wrestling is going to be very effective here. I think his grappling is going to be very effective here. Thing is, is that his cardio looks to be absolute trash. And that could be a big problem. But I'm like one of these, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt type guys. In his case, all of his wins are in the first round. You know, Christopher Anthony, first round submission. James Freeman, first round submission. Wesley Golden, bum. 
first round submission. Uh, Ariel uh, Juarez, three and four, first round submission. And then a flying knee on the contender series. So so it was always going to be a question mark if his cardio was any good. You just didn't know. But it seemed like he's a guy that came from a football background, training with Tim Crater over in Louisiana, gladiator, uh, gladiator MMA. He's going to get, you know, good. He's going to pick up some tricks. Same camp that produced Dustin Poirier. Same camp that produced Matt Schnell. Like, he will get better in his surroundings. But he was green to the sport of MMA. And with all these first-round finishes, you're winning. What are you going to look like in the second and third round? What are you going to look like when you get chin-checked? What are you going to look like when adversity comes your way? So you had him versus Matt Semmelsberger. I had Matt Semmelsberger. I felt like you were a fool. I am going to dance on you here, Paul. You, he gave him everything he could handle for the first, like, seven, eight minutes. In fact, he could have won that fight. Fletcher could have won that fight. couple rookie moves. Did definitely gas out. I was puckered up. It was a good underdog shot. The kid looked good in that spot. Now, this is a fight he takes on a week's notice in his UFC debut that went a full 15. Very understandable that you would gas. Totally understand that. So now I actually liked what I saw out of that kid. Even though he lost, I like what I saw out of him. So I bet him in his next fight against Angelusa. And he just, he gassed out the exact same way. He had zero answers for him. Striking, massive uh, disadvantage against Lusa. His wrestling was not good enough to consistently get him going. He wasn't able to press him up against the cage. He has a lot of physical strength, none of which he was able to use. And then he flat out gassed out. So it's like, damn, dude. Cardio didn't improve, no bit. Still looked like a one-round guy. Looked worse than he did against Semmelsberger, who's actually a decent fighter. So where's your excuse for him here? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the car was in Salt Lake City, Utah. It was 1,000 feet in the air. It was at altitude. That's my excuse for him. This guy is better than what you've seen, and now he physically got to go out there and show that. When you look at he's got a 10-inch reach disadvantage. This Thamba Garimbo has got a 10-inch reach advantage over him. So <clears throat> that's going to pose problems in itself. But when you look at his loss to Anderson Freya, <laughs> two fights back, he can't wrestle, man. He can't wrestle. He's got no game off of his back. Fletcher's going to eat him up. Fletcher's going to see the same thing that anybody that watches tape on him sees, which is you obviously don't want to stay to the outside and, and strike with him. Close the distance, get a hold of him, peel him to the ground. He's no good off there. They're, small, they're fighting in the apex. It's a small cage. It's not like you're going to have all of that space to work with. So at some point, I think Fletcher gets a hold of him. Fletcher's also, uh, you know, explosive. I think he's going to be able to close that 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 distance, catch him with the counter, and then hopefully force the wrestling. But if he just plays it smart, he will have some success standing as well. Uh, when you look at other losses of of uh, Themba Garimbo as well, the Dave Mazzani fight, Gina Mazzani's brother, dangerous Dave Mazzani, beat him up pretty good at EFC Africa. Take him to the second round, take him down, beat him up. Lion Murhart, take him to the second round, tire him out, catch him in the guillotine choke. Now you're making your UFC debut. I get that he had a full camp. He was supposed to fight Billy Goff, I want to say. Supposed to fight Billy Goff on this card. So he's got a full camp, but I think jitters are going to be there. I think that cardio is going to be an issue. I think wrestling is going to be an issue. And even though AJ Fletcher 100% has gassed his last two fights, a debut against Semmelsberger, who's a giant at this weight class, giant of a man at this weight class, a debut on short notice, and then fighting Angelusa, who's out of one of the best gyms in the world, um a mile high in the air in Utah. Like, I'm willing to give him enough passes. He's young. He would have learned. He would have worked on the cardio. And his wrestling wasn't that effective in his last two fights because of good level of talent. I think his wrestling and his grappling is going to look very good here. So uh don't love the line, Paul. I really don't like the line at all. But again, I, I got to bite the bullet of some of these spots. And I think like AJ Fletcher could come out and look a lot better than he has been showing. I asked you about Sadikov versus Elder, but we can talk about uh, Fletcher versus Garimbo. 
Um, oh, and we'll, okay. and we'll, right. and then we'll go to the next, and then we'll go to the next one. It's fine. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that other one in a second, but, uh, yeah, no, I see a lot of the same things as you, the Thembo, uh, Garimbo versus Dave Mazzani, Gina Mazzani's brother. He gets kind of held up against the cage a whole bunch. He doesn't show the worst takedown defense, but he really, like anytime he throws strikes, he's got a long reach. Don't get me wrong, but this guy is winging punches. Like it's not long and technical. He doesn't really use that reach all that well. He overextends and that's like, he ate like a, I want to say like a left hook as he enters and like after whiffing on a punch just, and just got absolutely deaded. Um, I think somebody with half-decent wrestling, A.J. Fletcher played some, you know, college football. Somebody with some half-decent uh, wrestling should be able to take him down at will. Um, and, yeah, the guy just throws absolutely wild strikes. So, I, I was a little bit jarred when I saw A.J. Fletcher, a guy I faded against Andre Luce. Andre Luce is a guy who trains in Florida with some of the best guys in the mm-hmm. world. Um, a very, very skilled technical fighter who had some tough matchups uh, early in his career. That's why I ended up on, on Jalusa. Um, Fembo could potentially land something big, but we've seen AJ Fletcher really take a lot of damage, uh, maybe more than he should have, particularly particularly in that Angelusa fight. But um, the guy seems super, 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 super durable. I can't say the same thing about Fembo Garimbo. Um, I actually took the under two and a half rounds. I took it at minus 135. Uh, market is continuing to move on that. So if you want to get in on the under two and a half rounds, I would get in pretty early because um, I think that's going to close closer to like minus 200 uh, based on getting knocked out by Gina Mazzani's brother on the regional scene. Horrible look. Fletcher, if you take out his UFC fights... This guy was a finished guys in the first round type of thing. So I think they're giving you a playable uh, playable line on this under two and a half rounds because Fletcher's last two fights have went the decision. But he's been taking on much, much tougher opposition. Um, not very impressed with what I've seen from Themba. If he does win, it would probably be, you know, lands a massive shot and AJ's a little bit of damaged goods or something like that. But he's only, what, 25, 26 years old. I'm sure he's making big improvements. Small cage, it all factors into the under. I'll be picking Fletcher, but my money is on the under two and a half rounds. Uh, now we got uh, Nazem Sadikov taking on Evan Elder. Minus 190 for Sadikov, plus 160. For Evan Elder, let's try this one again. Do I still get a penny for my thoughts? Was that your line? Yeah, for the last you can one? get a Sorry penny for your that. thoughts on this one, buddy. Yeah, I was looking at the topology rundown. They got this as like the second last prelim, right after. Because I, I I said earlier that Jim Miller was on the main card. Not even he's a future prelim. Oh my god. Yeah, they shipped. They shipped. Is... They shipped up the. I make this the graphics and the boards and the rundown, and That's then they fine. shift them up. But it's like we're dealing with like a card that it's like you could literally put most of these fights in any sort of order and it's it's all gonna work out the same way yeah yeah this like everything else i just i don't care for the line i think that evan elder is a lot better than what his ufc debut would have shown because again he, he makes his debut on a week's notice up a weight class against preston parson he's fighting him at welterweight evan elder's a striker preston parson's a wrestler so it's tough to make your debut in a week's notice up a weight class against a bad stylistical clash. So, again, what you saw in that fight, 
I would expect to see a better version of him. He's another guy that's had a kill club FC, as you mentioned, one of the best gyms in South Florida, one of the best gyms in the world, 25 years old, getting better, making improvements. It's that the UFC did him no, really, they did him no favors by signing him. He should have fought LFA. He should have fought on the contender series a couple times. Maybe he should have kind of gone that slower route and developed himself. Instead. It's like, Oh, they need somebody. I got my hand up. You're the guy you're throttled into that position. But Looking at the regional scene, it's like he's fought in a lot of these, you know, the best guys fought on the regional scene was six and six. He hasn't really fought at a very high level. You can watch him. You can watch that his striking looks pretty good. Looks like a decent enough prospect. But um, what's the level of opposition? How much are they testing him? One thing that I did notice in a lot of his regional show fights and then that UFC debut against uh, Parsons is that he's there to get hit. He gets hit a lot. Like He doesn't really move all that much. He's not defensively uh, a marvel by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that getting hit is going to get into troubles against this Nazim Sadikov, who has got a lot of firepower. He's got more firepower than he hits harder. Seems to have 15 minute cardio. And he's just one of these, I bet you he's just one of these strong immigrant mentality type guys that ends up at Sarah Longo in New York. And then it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I want to fight pro loses his pro debut. Okay. And then spent every day in the gym after that and has made massive improvements because what you see from him from a few years back to now, he's making a lot of improvements. Another guy that has fought relatively low level of competition, hadn't fought anybody really worthwhile. Then you saw him in the contender series. Even though the guy was 9-1, and one, that Ahmed Sohali uh, Hassan Zada, he was not good. He was not good. So he smashed him. He made it look pretty effortless. I thought it was a solid performance from him. But it's hard to gauge how good the guy is and then gauge how good the guy could be, what's his trajectory, right? So I'm going to say, still very young, 28 years old, out of a fine gym where he's training with Marab Dabashvili and Aljamain Sterling, Dennis Bazookia. There's a lot of good guys that are coming out of that camp. I think this kid's going to be ready to go. He should have a slight wrestling advantage here in case he needs to rely on it, score a couple takedowns to persuade the judges. I think he should be able to. As far as the striking goes, again, they're both strikers, but I think he's going to have more forward pressure, back him up, land that big shot, more eye-catching shots, and, and then at the end of the day, he either catches him with something or more than likely mixes in a few takedowns along the way to just secure the decision victory. So I will take um, Nazim Sadikov. But what you're seeing, there's a repetitive theme on this card. Guys that are struggling to make weight, guys that are fighting for the UFC for the very first time, they're going to have jitters. It's like unproven guys and guys that are over the hill. So where's the trustworthy guy that's going to fight for my dollar and cut off his arm if need be to get me the victory? They're not on this card. Got guys that I don't know if this is for them and guys that it used to be for them. It's just not no more. What do yeah. you trust? I don't know. But Nazim Sadikov is, is the plot. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I, I like Sadikov. I was considering playing him because there was a bit of steam that came in on, on Evan Elder a little bit earlier in the week. And then now that's kind of like corrected itself. It's moving back towards the minus 200 range. And I think that's probably about right. I'm not willing to really lay the wood too much. I'm not really willing to like parlay him. I don't feel that safe with him, but I didn't think he looked all that bad on Contender Series. I thought he showed some really, really flashy striking techniques and showed a lot of promise. Somebody maybe to have a, you know, to keep your eye on moving forward, but not someone I'm going to be willing to lay like minus 200 on um, in their UFC debut. And finally, we've got uh, Clayton Carpenter taking on Wakamio Ronderos, minus 300 for Carpenter, plus 250 for Ronderos. 
I mean, Wakamio, yeah, he had a tough, tough debut in the UFC. Comes in like short notice, takes on David Dvorak, gets absolutely starched in the first round. I'm not particularly sure how he ended up in the UFC. Why, like, you know, the guy hadn't fought since 2019. He was, oh, uh, he was 4-0. I guess it was a win over Eric Shelton, who was like yeah. somewhat well known in the, you know, in in the circle. But he had two years off, shows up, gets choked in the first round after you know on his on his record he's got a couple of submission wins. So what exactly is this guy good at? Carpenter, on the other hand, still young, twenty six years old, um, looked half decent on the Contender series. I don't know really know what to make of this one, Cody. I I I guess I'm picking Carpenter, but uh, more interested to hear what you have to say on this one. Yeah, so just like pretty much every fight that we've broken down in this card, one, you don't know how much better Ronderos may have theoretically gotten over the last two years. Like these long layoffs are scary because he's young. He's a young fighter. So 27 years old, you haven't seen him since he's 25. Those two years could be crucial. Not only that, but he's full-time in Las Vegas. His entire amateur crew is in Las Vegas. His entire pro crew, he trains some of the best guys in the world at one of the best gyms in the world. There's no doubt that he's a better version of himself than the last time you saw him. Now, here's the other thing. The last time you saw him, he didn't show anything, right? It's like he just got smoked so quickly by David Dvorak and choked out that you didn't really get to see the full arsenal of his skills and then now there's a two-year-long layoff, so so that that that's a big question mark. And then he's the double whammy because you know this is the other thing half these guys got going against him. That fight with David Dvorak, he missed weight. He came in at one twenty-eight and a half. So call it short notice, call it UFC debut, call it what you want to call it. He missed weight the last time you saw him try to make one twenty-five, and now he's going to try to make one twenty-five two years later. You know he could be filled out, he could be bigger. He hasn't cut weight in a while, so like I don't think any of that would really cause you to be like oh yeah yeah i'm gonna load up on this guy it's purely narrative he could have gotten better but you gotta see weigh-ins you gotta see what he looks like and i i don't know that this is a spot that i necessarily love for him but uh with clayton the carpenter carpenter don't want to steal clay guida's moniker again he looks like a fine prospect young kid on the regional scene looks solid as an amateur unbeaten other what well, once beaten he has a split decision loss to uh jay junior cortez which is tracy cortez's younger brother so no shame in that one, buddy. And then as a pro, again, looks good, right? I mean, he's kind of cruised out there against lower level of competition, but largely went out there and smashed him. He's out of the MMA lab out of Arizona, one of my favorite gyms personally. The kid can wrestle. You saw him do that against Edgar Chárez his last time out. Three takedowns, lots of control, good ground and pound. But keep in mind, all of his other fights have been quick routes, right? Like he beats Ronnie Keough in 13 seconds. He beats Nick Clem in 45 seconds. So against Edgar Chárez, who's not special by any stretch, that simple step up in competition, Kim was like a minus two seventy five favorite in that spot. Right, like he won. He looked he looked good, didn't look great. Forced to settle for a decision victory. I think he's got big time wrestling advantage over here. I think he takes down Ron Darrow, so he holds him down. He grind and pounds him. He's got the cardio to win the the fifteen minutes. A part of me does wonder, you know, geez, flyweights. Ron Darrow's is big. Ron Darrow's trains with a very good gym. Ron Darrow's has been off for two years. He's still young. Could this not be a greasy spot? Yeah, it could mm-hmm. be. Carpenter, I like him. But has he been tested? No. Does he face adversity? No. Is he just get that quick finish every single time out? No. Maybe he has to settle in for fighting some rounds. 
And uh, he's not, he ain't no David Dvorak, right? So this is a step down in competition for Ronderos. There's just enough question marks that would cause me to have some uncertainty at this line. The line, Paul, the line is just its too big. It's mm-hmm. out of control, right? And uh, so those are my themes for this card. Weight cut, UFC debuts, and the, the money lines. The money lines just, uh, if you're a CLV guy and you got them a couple weeks ago or a month ago or whenever it dropped, uh, good on you. A couple of little gem spots here and there, but. And you record on a Wednesday, and of course, this is like this is schedule stuff. We have to record on a Wednesday. I'd love to bring it to you on a Tuesday or something, but scheduling stuff, bring it to you on a Wednesday. And then furthermore, I'm going to release my plays on the Saturday. Like they, they get steam, you get chasing, you end up losing money. Like quietly, we've been doing good every week. We haven't got smoked out of the water in no week so far this this year. We're going to have to play this show. Obviously, we play every show. Um, but yeah, I just I don't know that I'm running to the to the teller to get my money back. Yeah. I've only got three bets this week. I've got the Themba Garimbo versus uh, AJ Fletcher under two and a half rounds at minus one thirty-five, um, and that's like a that's a that's my main play for the night. Um, I did like a half play on uh, on uh, Mero Bueno Silva versus Lena Landsberg fight goes to decision at minus one twenty-five, and I got a sprinkle on Jim Miller round two. Um, just just a little little salt bay. Um, nothing, nothing too crazy. I really don't think I'm going to get too heavily invested in this card. Cause yeah, there's a, there's a lot of question marks top to bottom. And a lot of the underdogs that, you know, usually I, you know me, I like to like chase underdogs, but it's like, there's good reason why they're underdogs and why you probably don't want to put your hard earned money on them. Like Jordan, Wright, Josh Parisian, like th- these are really sketchy sketchy spots the most most tried tested and true guys jim miller but it's like i'm not gonna be stunned if he gets knocked out in the first round by a much more athletic alexander hernandez so it's a sketchy card you know mind your p's and q's don't go broke you can go yeah you're not gonna get rich today you can go broke today so like you know mind your p's and q's pick your spots and without further ado now cody's gonna run through his prp we'd be a hell of a hard prp to hit this week but oh yeah we're going to go with Jessica Andrade, uh, Zach Pauga, Jamal Pogues, Marcin Prakneo, Alex Hernandez, uh, Marina Buena Silva, Nazim Sadikov, Jamal Emmers, Felipe Linz, AJ Fletcher, Clayton Carpenter. Of that list, I think we've got Jamal Emmers is technically an underdog. Marcin Prakneo is technically an underdog. Nah, I thought I had one more. Nah, well, I guess I don't. All the same. It's not an underdog heavy card. The favorites, the favorites been steamed and none of them really got that big trust factor. This is my biggest concern this week. Okay? Again, the PRP, you're, it's a lottery ticket, especially on a card like this. But my top two tickets, hell, if I could hit that third ticket, I'm in the money here. But I'm worried about my top two tickets. That's what the focus here is. Name me two fighters, Paul, that you would be feel comfortable parlaying together. Now, I could take the coward's way out, throw Jessica Andrade up there. She's my main event. It would create a hedge-out opportunity. There still is plus money on Blanchfield, and that's probably the smart way to attack it. Who do you put her with? Zach Pauga? <laughs> Didn't I tell you you don't want to top-ticket him? I'll play him. He'll probably be on the second ticket, given the nature of this card, but I can't top-ticket him. Uh, Jamal Pogues? God damn. Am I going to top-ticket a heavyweight? Bad idea. Bad idea. Maybe second or third ticket, but I wouldn't want him at the top. Prakneo can't do that. Alex Hernandez at the top? Uh, Maria Buena Silva. I feel like Pat just reached out of the screen and slapped me in the face. You wouldn't yeah. put that in your top ticket. Um, Nazim Sadikov. I don't know, man. The seven elders really not that bad. Straight out of a good gym. 25. 
Jamal Emmers, smell that shit in your apple pie. Felipe Linz, oh man, I would never trust this guy in a million years. AJ Fletcher, gassed out in his last two fights, giving a terrible account of himself. Clayton Carpenter, yeah, fair, but one, UFC debut. Two, I just told you, minus 300, you don't want to flyweight this kid flyweight action against Ronderos, who has all these decent red flags, like off two years, could have gotten better, big for the weight class, might, weigh, must, might miss weight and you know rehydrate quite big. I don't even have a second. And Andrade is not even a lock top ticket. No. There's no lock. There's not one single lock. Now you got to get two of them to put together for a two-fight parlay. Well, think about the stretch on putting a four-fight parlay together. So I can't stress this enough. We're degenerates. You're watching this show, and you're watching at the hour and 10-minute mark on the worst card of the year. <laughs> you, my friend, are part of the gang, right? We're gang gang. But this is a bad card. This is a bad card. They're just they're just looking to take your money. So maybe bet LFA. Maybe bet the PFL card. Maybe like do some Friday night action stuff just to you know to whet your appetite. But uh, the parlays are gonna get thrashed this week. I just know it. That being said, I've said that before, and we've done quite well. So I'm hoping it's one of those weekends. We'll throw it up in the universe, positive thinking, and hopefully come out of this one unscathed. Yeah, I'm gonna wait until weigh in, but I'm I'm probably gonna add Jessica Andrade at this price to my card as well later in the week. We'll, we'll see what happens, but that's another spot that I, I, I don't really quite understand that line. But yeah, this, this is the type of card. It's like if you have like friends that you've been like negating for, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, they wanted you to come out, but you've been like, man, there's UFC on. It's just like if your friends ask you to come out and you're like, you can hit the PVR on this. You don't have to stick around and watch UFC Vegas 69. Um, this is the type of card that if you if you have better plans to do, if you have, you know, you, you, you got to take your wife out or, you know, Valentine's Day you was Valentine's, Valentine's Day, Day yeah. was yesterday. Yeah. You were busy working <laughs> your shift. And, you know, Saturday, these fights are on. Take your wife out instead of sitting down to these ones. Like, it's going to be okay. You don't have to watch every little bit of UFC content. I mean, I'm going to be a sick degenerate and watch every single one of these fights. But uh, I'm just saying, the options are out there. This is a decent card to skip all the way together if uh, if you have better things to do. That's, that's all fair, I'm going to say about that. Fair. I will counter with one thing. Because at this point, we've already established you're a degenerate. Here's the right thing to do. This is a much better live betting card. Because mm -hmm. you're going to know way more about these guys that have been on for three years once the fight starts. You're going to you're gonna absorb way more info. But just like a big uh, basketball, I, I always notice this on basketball. The, the game starts, one team's a minus 500. I don't bet basketball. This is what I've noticed. The one team's minus 500, okay? They're going to kill them. But the way basketball starts, it's like the five to one underdog comes out and outscores them in the first quarter. Like that's not unusual in the slightest bit. It's not unusual for the heavy underdog team to come out. It's eight to two in the first few minutes of the game. Not unusual. Then the line will drop down to all of a sudden this minus 500 team is minus 185, minus 200. And then they'll just go on a roll and just blow them out of the water by 15 points. Like it's like it's nothing. Because these lines are big, if Carpenter Rondero starts, and Carpenter shoots a takedown and Rondero stuffs it, right away the line's changing. If Rondero lands a couple shots, the line's changing. These lines will swing based on this early movement because it's like nobody really knows what to expect. So if, if you are single guy, you know, I have a girlfriend that you let down on Valentine's Day, you're going to watch this card. Yeah, I think like pre-fight bets is all fun and good, but I think if you're going to sit down and watch this card, 
um, betting it round to round, betting it mid round. I think that's where you'll find your value. Hundo P. Hundo P, bro. All right, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed this show. For producer Megan and Cody Safdick, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.